This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 37 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They offer supplements designed to give you the most value for your dollars. Visit them at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Wellington, Florida, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Heather. Hi, Chris. How's it going? It's going great. And how about you? You're on a roll, aren't you? Well, I'm on a big high cloud up in the sky, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I had a great weekend. You did have a great weekend. Congratulations on on winning the... uh, um, Prix Saint-Georges down there at the Wellington Classic with Paragon is uh, a, a horse that you've had since he... So did you foal him? You've had him well, a long time, Well, huh? somewhat, yes. I did. Um, I was working for the place that uh, bred him and was there the night he was born. And I've known him since his first day on the planet, yes. <laughs> so that was a special occasion to uh, have brought him up to, what, seven years of age and compete with him at his first uh, Prix Saint-Georges. Uh, we're going to hear a lot more about that later on in the show because uh, obviously that was a significant uh, competition for you. Well, it was. That was the first time out, our, our debut, and went exactly like I wanted. So we'll be talking about that later. All right. We certainly will. We've got a great show this week, lots of news, and we're also going to be hearing from Laura Bechtelsheimer, and I'm sure you follow European dressage uh, results, Heather, and you'll know that uh, she's been picking off the Dutch one by one and breaking British records in the process. She's had a fantastic run, uh, not least of all in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago. So um, we're going to be talking to her a little bit later on in the show and looking forward to that because uh, it's a a real turning point for British dressage. She's certainly become the darling of British dressage right now. Well, she's definitely a hard worker. She keeps getting out there over and over and over, and that's definitely what it takes. Yeah, really, really does. So we're looking forward to that. But before we get to uh, that, uh, Heather, we've got a few items of news this week. And uh, what, what we've heard just, just, this, just this week, uh, news out of uh, uh, Holland and KWPN registry, is that Tortillas is actually going to stand at stud this year. You know, the owners were back and forth with that, with that a little bit, um, but they've decided and, that they will actually stand him this year. Uh, they they pre- previously said they wanted to focus on his dressage until the, the London Olympics, uh, but that's changed now. And the uh, Moreland's agent, Samira, Norm- Samira Norman, said we don't want to abstain breeders from not using Tortillas' genes, so we decided to put him to stud. And they've decided to ask an abnormally high stud fee for a warm-blood stallion in order to limit the amount of mares. And, and apparently they're, they're touting a figure of 5,000 to 5,500 euros. So uh, that'll be very interesting to see. That obviously will make it very selective for breeding, Heather. Well, yeah, that's exciting news for the mare owners out there in the world. They can, they can make the grade as far as being one of his wives. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have a long, list of, uh, a long list of them waiting. I bet he will. He'll have quite the harem, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, well, some bad news also, some sad news, I should say, out of Europe too. We lost two really famous uh, dressage horses this past week. Blue Horse Mateen, she died unexpectedly. Um, she was actually euthanized after um, 
It was noticed that she had broken her left foreleg um, at the knee when she was turned out in a paddock. And uh, the uh, manager there at Blue Horse, Esben Muller, um, was quickly uh, quickly called the vet and, and they decided that there was no way to save the mare. Um, very tragically, she was euthanized. And, of course, she was very famous uh, for the freestyle that she performed at the World Equestrian Games in Aachen uh, just uh, four years ago. And she was well known in Denmark as a young dressage horse, but made her international breakthrough and fame at a very rapid speed. And within one year, she premiered at Grand Prix level and, of course, won that individual silver and bronze in Aachen. Uh, so a loss to the sport, and as she had retired to breed, and she was only 13 years of age. But another old favourite um, also was euthanised, uh, but this time out of old age, 29-year-old is, uh, Fabian, the chestnut mare belonging to Isabel Verth, who very successfully um, w- was very successful with um, with Isabel. She she won the uh, 1992 World Cup finals in Gothenburg and had a terrific career with with her. Well, when Isabel got back from the World Cup qualifier in Amsterdam just a couple of weeks ago, she found the mare was in poor condition and decided that the best thing was to euthanize her at a grand old age of, of 29. And uh, uh, she'd had a very happy retirement there at Isabel's home um, alongside her other partner, Gigolo, who, of course, passed away just uh, a few months ago in September of 2009. So the loss of two two very well-known horses, Heather, in, in Europe, they'll be sorely missed. Well, 29 years is certainly a, a nice age to live, especially for a hard-working Grand Prix horse. That's pretty impressive. It really is. It really is. Well, some exciting news just this week from the World Dressage Masters as we get ready for that uh, leg of the World Car- of the WDM series in Wellington, Florida this weekend. The organizers have announced that they are trying to organize one in South America. Um, so that's really exciting news, Heather, to extend that leg because it's, it's worth an awful lot of money, this uh, World Dressage Masters now, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hundred thousand dollars, isn't it? it it's a, it's the largest uh, purse, I believe, the richest, uh, the richest purse in in the sport, and you know, much coveted. There's only four legs right now, and this would obviously add a fifth to them. Um, the uh, managing director of WDM announced the signing of a letter intent with the company Harris Valderaposa, operated by the Brazilian architect uh, Bennett Nissenschwag and his son Hector. They dis- uh, viewed the discussions as a major step in, in international dressage as the key for a sustainable future for the Olympic sport. And, of course, Brazil has been... Uh, uh, um, been the host of the 2007 Pan American Games, and uh, of course, it's going to be hosting the 2006 Olympic Games. So it's all happening down in Brazil. Wouldn't it be nice to go down there for for a competition, Heather? Well, I've never been, so that would be killing two birds with one stone, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> be a great way to go compete and see uh, another part of the world that I'm sure is just exciting and beautiful. Yeah, really. Well. Well, um, looks like the, we're going to add to that. I mean, it's wonderful that we have such generous sponsors. I think that's, you, you know, already there's a great buzz, isn't there, here for the Masters uh, this weekend. It, it's it's picked up tremendous momentum in, in its very short life, rel- relatively. 
There's a lot of buzz about it. Actually, I was just shopping in the mall this evening, and the girl that I was that was checking out my clothes was talking about the World Dressage Masters competition. I thought that was pretty. That was pretty neat. I mean, she wasn't in horses herself, but she and her friends are going to go watch, and that's that's huge for the sport. That that really is huge. Yeah, it, it is when you get people outside the sport uh, right. actually getting excited about it. Well, terrific. Well, we'll look forward to that. We'll be reporting on that next week, of course. But meanwhile, more news out of Europe. Patrick Kittle, who uh, you, some of you will remember, was under investigation for his treatment of Watermill Standick at the Odense show in Denmark uh, last October. Uh, the FBI have actually issued a, a, a statement now. Uh, witness statements and video evidence has been thoroughly reviewed and reviewed, and the investigation findings are that there is no rela- reliable evidence that the warm-up techniques used by Patrick were excessive. As a result, the FEI legal department has ruled that no formal claim against Mr. Kittle will be submitted to the FEI tribunal. However, Mr. Kittle has received a warning letter regarding the appropriate and inappropriate use of warm-up techniques and has been made aware that his actions will be watched very carefully going forward to ensure that there are no subsequent violations of FEI rules relating to horse welfare. The FEI is conducting a major review and analysis of its current policy on pre-competition warm-up activities with an emphasis on hyperflexion. And to that end, they have also announced that is the FEI that they are arranging a roundtable conference of uh, experts from various fields in equestrianism to participate uh, in a discussion about the roll core training system at the FEI headquarters in Lausanne uh, on February 9th. The list of invitees by the FEI is designed to cover a wide range of interests from riders, trainers, vets, communication, commercial and horse welfare. Uh, Princess Hire herself will be attending the conference and Ulf Helkstrad, president of the Dressage uh, Danish Equestrian Federation, commented that the FEI hopes to reach a shared conclusion about hyperflexion with all active participants in the equestrian sport by listening to the different views. Possible guidelines and conclusions should be taken into account and should be valid for all FEI disciplines. The current position on the FEI of the FEI on hyperflexion is based on the results of the conference held in 2006. So an ongoing debate there, Heather, um, not least of all spurred by the issue with uh, Patrick Kittle a few months ago, uh, and, and uh, making the FEI really take another very hard look at this as a form of uh, training. Well, I think that, you know, there are definitely opinions about the hyperflexion training method and... Um, the best thing that's, I think, coming out of this is that riders are taking note uh, of the fact that the FEI is, you know, looking out for the horse's welfare in any warm-up condition, no matter what training method they're using, that the FEI will step in when it is not appropriate for the horses. And I think that's the best message to all the riders out there, no matter what system you use. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, we're going to be um, talking about your competition success with Paragon in just a second. But before we get there, we're going to take a short commercial break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Not every horse needs a supplement, and selecting the right supplement for your horse can be a science. Kentucky Performance Products simplifies your search for the right supplement, and they provide products that are scientifically developed to address the specific problems facing modern horses. Their website and customer service people can give you detailed information on each supplement, helping you find the right solution to your horse's problem. 
You can trust Kentucky Performance Products supplements to provide the ingredients you need in effective amounts so your horse gets the most out of each scoopful. Kentucky Performance Products, helping you keep your horses healthy, sound, and competitive. Visit them at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Well, Heather, it's great to have you back on the show. You Last time you were with us, of course, you took part in that quiz, uh, which I, I, I hesitate to say, but I, I believe that you were runners-up in that competition. So you're going to have yes, to... That's a nice way to put it, Chris. Thank you. Actually, we were losers. But, um, you know, runners-up sounds better, so we'll take that. <laughs> Well, that was a lot of fun. Fun. I hope you'll come back for for an encore um, because you know they they were very popular. We we get a lot of good responses from those quiz competitions. So, uh, uh, and I know you're very competitive, and uh, you certainly were competitive this past weekend. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about that because you took your Prince Paragon out for his debut in Prix Saint Georges at the Wellington Classic down there in Florida. And and as you said earlier, you you're you're still enjoying. The, the, you know the the aftermath of of that of that win, not least of all because you've brought this horse on yourself for the past seven years. So t- talk us through that weekend. Well, the weekend sort of came about um, last minute. You know, Paragon's only been in the United States for one month now. Um, he just came at the end of December, so I really wasn't planning on him being ready that quickly for a competition. Um, I figured it would just be, you know, maybe a couple more weeks, but the training has been going so well, and he never really felt uh, very much of an effect from the travel anyway. And um, he had just been two or three days really super consistent and a great feeling. So I thought, man, I wish I could show right now. And I thought, wait a minute, there is a show this weekend. So I just um, late entered and took him to the show and really just planned on going and um, you know, not trying to go and, and do anything really great, just go out and see how it was and see if we would be um, the same kind of training and the same kind of mindset that we have at home. And um, it, it was exactly that. And it was just um, super happy with how he was in, in all respects at the showgrounds. And um, of course, he re- recognized he was somewhere new, but he's not the kind of horse really that cares too much about his surroundings and kind of anywhere he gets off the trailer is home to him. He's really easygoing. And that's one of my favorite things about the horse is he's, he's just such a pleasure to be around and, um, very low stress, low key kind of guy. And that's, that's fantastic. And then you couple that together with a horse that can win, um, the pre St. George on his first go round. It's really his first show, um, as, as a competition horse altogether for his life. So I've just kept him training at home and waiting for him to be ready for this level. And um, he certainly is now. He scored above 70 and has, I think, room for higher scores in the future for sure. He was just fantastic. He just ate up that arena. Actually, he eats it up quite quickly because his strides are so huge. I think I only take 13 strides to canter him on the diagonal which is if you know much about how many strides is normal for a horse you know 18 or 20 might be normal and his um he he takes the diagonal in 13 strides yeah he's a big boy he's what 18 hands 
he is 18 hands and he has very large gates, but, you know, he also has been learning and he's quite good at now um, how to take very small steps easily too. So, but if I want to show expression, for instance, in the tempi changes on the diagonal, you know, I, I have to start those four tempies as soon as I, <laughs> as soon as I leave the mark or I won't fit them in unless I want them in a really collected canner. So it's a good problem to have. It's just a, it's a different one. It's, it's the, the first horse I've had with such an amazing canter. Um, and his trot is nothing to sneeze at. So I'm just so excited about him. And, you know, we really just kind of went in for a, an average expression kind of test. And I thought, I'll just go for, you know, a, a, a 70% of what he's got in him. And, um, you know, that still was enough to top the class. So I, I can only imagine when I can ride him at 100% power when he's ready for that. Um, you know, just what what might happen then. It's um, very exciting. Well, this really is quite a chapter in Paragon's diary. And those of you who have been following the Dressage Radio show from the start, uh, which is back in uh, last summer, when Heather was a regular co-host here with me, will know that we um, we had Paragon's diary, which was a regular feature. And of course, he was there in in, in Denmark with you, Heather, and and just going about his daily work routine. And you know, you always had good things to report about him because he was coming along so nicely. But but now he's reached a certain maturity, hasn't he? Well, he has. Um, he had a little bit of downtime before the travel to the States. And I think, you know, that may have been a nice little vacation and rest for him to maybe just finish his growing. You know, it, just coming seven next month and 18 hands. And um, he's just all leg and length. And he's probably, I hope, finished growing now. He actually grew from uh, 16.2 at three years old to wow. 18 hands um, at this at, at at six years old. So that's pretty late in life for so much um, height to be put on. Um, and I think any any issues I may have had, you know, in the in the initial years of his training, had a lot to do with growth spurts and the strength that it took for him to move those huge limbs um, through the air like he does. So I think that, that he's really finished the growing, and now we're into the filling out and the strengthening, and that's just going to be the very uh, exciting training phase with him because he, he won everything with 100% um, you know, saying yes to everything, and now when he gets the strength to do it, it I just think that the, the next layer we uncover is going to be just phenomenal. So um, he's really starting that phase. But even though he's 18 hands, of course, you're six feet tall yourself. So, you know, you fit him rather well. You don't make, you know, he doesn't look 18 hands when you're on him because you're six foot. So it's kind of deceiving. But I guess to get on him, you need to take an elevator to the first floor, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> it is, well, it certainly takes a three-step mounting block. I mean, I can get on him from the ground. But if I have my, like, my show boots on that are especially tall, it doesn't feel so good to do that. And it's not very good for his back. But, um, you know, a, a three-step mounting block sort of gets me up to the stirrup. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, you know, he is the best sized, uh, you know, matched horse size-wise for me that I've ever had. And um, I, I just feel so lucky to have, you know, gotten that in him. Um, I did geld him at an, el at an early age. Um, there's a point where if you leave a male uh, intact... 
that the testosterone in their body closes the growth plates um, earlier than it um, than it would if the testosterone weren't in the body. So if you geld earlier on, which I did with him, um, then you are going to end up with you know a horse that does put on more height and less where the growth goes into the way stallions develop. So, you know, that was a little bit of my doing to make him bigger, but I didn't know that'd make him 18 hands. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm lucky, yeah, because it really is the size of horse I need. And it's, um, it, it has to look, the picture has to look right to, um, you know, not only the personalities matching, but the picture really has to be, um, to be right. And I'm very pleased with how it looks with the, with him and me together. Well, speaking of how the picture looks, uh, we will be posting a link on our website to the video that you have of that test, which is an absolute delight to watch. So we encourage people to click on that link and and watch uh, Paragons First, we're calling it, because it was his first time out and he was first. That's right. Absolutely. Well, congratulations again, Heather. That's a terrific start. Tell us what what the plan is now for him. Where, where, Where next for this boy? Well, actually, he's going to be in the um, show at the Jim Brandon Equestrian Center again, um, not this weekend, but Valentine's weekend. And he'll be doing not the CDI, um, because I really didn't plan on needing his FBI passport done by then. I just figured we'd start out slowly. Um, so not the CDI, but um, we'll be in the precinct George again on that Friday. And then the Saturday, I'm, I've entered him in the developing horse test. So I can see about um, campaigning him for those develop, for that developing horse program, which I think the championships are in um, June at Lamplight in Illinois. So, um, yeah, we'll be out again um, in just a, a few, maybe, what is it, eight or nine days from now? Yeah, just in a, in a few days. But uh, when this show is posted, of, of course, live this week, um, you're also going to be busy in Lexington, Kentucky. You're going to come up to see us here and present a seminar for the uh, Mid-South Eventing and Dressage Association. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And it'll be... Um, First time I've done that for a number of years, and I've only done it a couple of times so far. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's um, more of a challenge to you know get some training ideas across without a horse and rider in front of me <laughs> to demonstrate with. But um, I've got my trusty Mac, and I've got Keynote geared up to um, give some good demonstrations and videos and um, examples of things that I want to talk about. So hopefully we get a good turnout for that. Terrific. Well, look forward to to, to that. Um, well, we're coming now to uh, our guest this week, uh, uh, Heather. As I mentioned earlier, Laura Bechtelsheimer. Um, there's a British uh, dressage rider who's had m- marvelous successes uh, this year. Of course, she was on the 2006 World Equestrian Games team uh, with uh, with uh, one horse. She has a different ride now that she's had tremendous success with, Mr. Horace and. Uh, she went to Amsterdam to the World Cup qualifier a couple of weeks ago and uh, was second to Edward Gall and Totilis, both in the Grand Prix and in the freestyle, and is really on a roll. So we thought it was time to catch up with Laura and hear about um, her career and where she is in her career right now. So let's uh, welcome Laura to the show. Laura, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show, and thanks for joining us today. No problem. Well, first of all, a big congratulations. As I said in my introduction, you really are taking on the world. You're, you're t- picking off the Dutch, who seem to be the, the, the hot ticket right now, but you're taking them on one at a time. Uh, how does it feel where you are right now in your career? Um, very exciting, to be honest. Um, 
I've sort of reached a place where I'm feeling pretty comfortable in my own skin and very confident with my horse, but um, obviously there's still things to work on and improve, and, and obviously I've still got ambitions to, to keep getting better and, and, and more successful. Well, just to give us a little bit of a background, Laura, and introduce you to uh, this global audience, let's uh, paint a little picture, if you will, of where you are, where you live in England, and what your situation is there, the number of horses you have, and and that kind of thing. Um, Well, I live in the middle of um, Gloucestershire, English countryside, so it's very beautiful here, Um, although not the best weather. Um, But um, my parents have always had a a private yard themselves, um, ever since they were... Well, they had horses together when they were young, but they've had a private yard together since they could afford it. And um, I've been very lucky to grow up riding sort of ever since I was three years old and able to get on a pony. Um, And I now have about, I ride about six, seven horses a day myself. But we've also got a few broodmares and, you know, we have a, so we breed a few foals every year. And then we've got a few old age pensioners out in the field as well. So we've probably got about 25 horses in total. About ten and work. Well, as you mentioned, you you started at the at the ripe old age of, of three, and you've really had a kind of a copy book career, Laura. And just for the sake of our, our listeners here, we should point out that your father, Dr. Wilfred, was a very established horseman, dressage rider, and trainer himself. So, you you got a good uh, leg up, as we say, in the industry, didn't you, to start off your career? Absolutely. Um, I've been very fortunate um, to have parents who, who love the sport and who have supported me in, in, in the sport all the way. But um, as, I, as I said, I sort of grew up with it. I was never put under pressure or anything. I, um, I always loved being with my ponies when I was little. And, and sort of for me, horses was just a way of life and, and something that I always wanted to do. And I couldn't really imagine my days without, like, you know, not spending time on the yard. Well, even though, of course, you made your name in dressage, we should point out uh, that you did start in eventing, didn't you? What, what, uh, what made the, what was the turning point there for you, Laura? What made the switch? Um, it's difficult to say. And my father started off in three-day eventing as well. Um, and he rode up to up to three-star level, and um, he switched to dressage when he was sort of probably about I don't know in his thirties or something. Um, and I switched much younger. I was maybe 15, 16. I was still eventing. When I was little, I, I always thought dressage was really boring. Um, <laughs> I when I was about, yeah, uh, in my early teens, I, I had a good dressage pony, and I made it onto the pony team at the, for the European Championships, and, and we did very well there. And it's there that I realized there was a lot more to the sport than I'd imagined, and I started to get quite into into the discipline of the dressage and, and the and the finesse that it requires and as I had I was at boarding school and, and I was played a lot of other sports as well. I, I realised I, I didn't have time to sort of do everything and I was already spreading myself a little bit thin so I just sort of the, the eventing sort of faded away and I was just focusing more and more on the dressage. Well, as you focused on the dressage, of course, you, you've had a wonderful progression through ponies and young riders into your senior career, Laura, which has really been kind of foot perfect. Uh, and, and you had some wonderful influences, too, apart from, your, of course, your family. Tell us about those. Um, well, I've had, you know, I've been very, very lucky to, to ride some wonderful horses. When I was going into my last young rider year, or my second last young rider year, um, the horse, um, the horses that I rode at the time, I had two horses, and um, I lost one 
yeah, they were both young, and I lost one very sadly. Um, he had a heart attack in the paddock, um, and the other horse developed a tumour on his tendon, so I suddenly was out of horses, <laughs> which is how it goes sometimes. Um, but my father at the time was riding his Grand Prix horse, Douglas Dorsey, who he'd had since he was quite since the horse was quite young. And um, my father, being how he is, said, Do you know what, Laura, take on take on Douglas for the summer. And I, I rode him, and the first time I rode him, I said, you've got to be joking, I can't ride this horse. <laughs> it was a Grand Prix horse, it was a very big man's horse, a very strong Donahoe horse, and um, although he was stunning, he was just so strong, and I just didn't think I could manage him. My dad said, Do you know what, you give, give it 10 days, and if you still say the same thing, I won't push it, but give the horse 10 days. So I did. And uh, two weeks later, I had one international to go to to qualify for the European Championships. And then four weeks later, I was at the European Championships on him, and we got team bronze, and I was best of the bits, and I think we came fourth or fifth individually. And um, I then, after the Europeans, said to my dad, um, I don't think you're going to have him back. <laughs> <laughs> I stole him. He was a and, keeper, um, huh? He was definitely a keeper, and I went on to have my first success, successes at international Grand Prix level on him, and I qualified for the World Cup final on him. I think I was one of the youngest people, if not the youngest person, to do that. And I also went to the World Games on him and uh, in Aachen in 2006, and he really was re- responsible for, for putting me on the map, so to speak. Yes, yeah, so I would say that he pretty much was that was a turning point in, in your career, wasn't it, uh, to, to, to be partnering him at a World Equestrian Games. And here we are, we're four years later. Let's review those last four years, Laura, because you've gone from, from that, those last games now to become really the darling of British dressage. <laughs> and and it's, been, it's been a whirlwind four years, and I, and I, and I believe that you, you've, you felt last year, in 2009, was, was a pivotal year for you and, and with your partnership with uh, Mr. Horace, who you so fondly called ALF. Not very illustrious name, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 2009 was definitely a, a, a landmark year for me because um, although I'm very young, I've been at senior level for a few years now, and for some reason I always felt like something always seemed to go wrong or not quite my way at a championship um, probably due to various reasons but um, having been to Hong Kong to the Olympics the year before um, I you know I was massively happy to have gone to the Olympics but obviously they were quite a big disappointment for me and um, I really had to sort myself out mentally last year and make sure that the disappointments I'd had the last few years um, at championships didn't sort of affect me mentally. Um, and um, I worked very hard with our sports psychologist um, over here in England um, to make sure that I kept my confidence that I'd gained throughout the season and, and that I, you know, I maintained that when I was at a championship and didn't get sort of spooked. And um, thankfully it, it, it all came off really well and, and my horse, um, who is an absolute you know genius to ride he's he's awesome he uh he sort of did his part in holding my hand in the first test at the europeans and from there on i sort of i got my confidence completely at a championship and um was able to pull off my best performances um that i'd had to that to that day and um that gave me obviously heaps more confidence and since then i've had two more shows on on this trial where both times i've beat my personal best again so 
it's a little bit scary. I feel like I need to touch some wood whenever I talk about it. <laughs> well, you certainly have gone on breaking records, breaking your own personal best scores and, and uh, British records as well. But tell us a little bit about this partner you have now with Mr. Horace or Elf that, that has really, really launched you uh, amongst the, 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 the certainly the British dressage superstars, and, and now, of course, in the world with the kind of people that you're you're beating at their own game, tell us a little bit about that partnership. What kind of a horse is he, and how you found him? Um, oh, he's a he's a gentle giant. Um, he's um, I've had him now for six years, I think. And um, when I got him, he was successful at small tour level, but hadn't competed at Grand Prix yet. And um, he was a bit of a loose cannon. He was clearly very talented and very exuberant, but he was he was a big, strong horse that used to take off quite regularly as well. Um, and when I first got him, he used to take off with me all the time. <laughs> um, rounds when I went hacking around the fields, he used to take off, and even on the arena, he was he was pretty mad. Um, but for some reason, with that horse, it was just love at first sight, and I I just felt like I knew I I could. I could work with him, and he didn't scare me. He sort of just, I don't know, there was just a connection there. And um, I just always trusted him, and I, I, I just believed that he would prove everyone wrong, all the people that said that he was too mad and that he wouldn't he wouldn't be a Grand Prix horse. I, I just felt like, I don't know, when you have that gut instinct, you just believe in something, and I did with him. And I took my time with him. You know, I was still very young at the time, and um, I did a year of young riders on him, small tour level, so that he had time to just develop a bit further and really feel established at that level. And um, after a year of young riders, um, after the championship, I started working on the Grand Prix moves again a bit. I wanted him to forget them for a year first before before going into competing at that level. And um, when I first started competing at Grand Prix level, we had some serious ups and downs. He was the first into two I rode, I think it was an international in Germany, and he won that with 70%. And then the following week, following um, 10 days, I, I took him to another international to do his first Grand Prix in, internationally in Germany as well. And I think we came out with 55% or something. I think it was the only time I've ever had under 60% in my life. It was quite a shock. <laughs> and, you know, every, pretty much everything went wrong in that test. But I just decided I wasn't going to quit the test. I would just keep going and keep quiet and keep asking and and um so the, my first season was a bit like that um some some tests you could see the talent and some tests he was just a bit over the over the edge um and then i sort of just kept at it and he he injured himself the year after that in the second grand prix season he injured himself quite near the beginning of the season in the paddock um so that cost us quite a lot of time um but yeah since then i've managed to have another full season and I think actually 2009 was his first full Grand Prix season where he hadn't had an injury from doing something stupid to himself and I think that really showed because it, it meant that we had consistency and we really could get into a routine and a rhythm and um, and now it's sort of, I don't know, since then we haven't really looked back. I guess he decided it was time to quit the excuses and he was in the big league now so he had to knuckle down to it, huh? Absolutely. I mean, you can tell with him just like in the handling as well. I mean, he's always been a completely loving and cuddly horse in the stable. But now, you know, I can do things with him that back then I would have thought he'll never be able to do. For example, we have a, a water treadmill for exercise. And now just in the last month, he started going on it 
and before when I, you know, the last year or two, there was absolutely no chance. If he even heard the machine, he started shaking. Oh. And um, this last win this winter, we've had really bad weather, so he hasn't been able to go out hacking around the fields and stuff much. So I thought I've got to do something with him to keep him interested. So I walked him over to the water treadmill, and he followed me straight on. And you could just tell that the horse has just gained so much confidence and trust as well in himself that he finds things that he used to just not be able to get his head around he can now deal with quite happily how is he bred laura he's danish warm blood he's by michelino and how how would you characterize him what kind of character is he in the barn he's sort of very much my groom and my horse and anyone else who wants to do something with him he'll quite happily take the piss out of (laughs) he's um you know he knows who's who's his mummies are, so to speak, and he's um he's very very loving. There's not a nasty bone in him. He's really really sweet horse, um, very very affectionate. But he's also you know if something scares him, he'd like to climb into your pocket. He doesn't realise how big he is. <laughs> Does that translate to a competition? Does he remain cool and cool and, and and loving, or does he take on a different persona once he knows he's on he's on the business? Um. He's, with his confidence growing, he's become more of a personality in the sort of in the ring and as a show off. Before he was, you know, he was quite scared and timid at a show. As soon as he's back in the stable where he feels comfortable, he's absolutely chilled. Like he'll sleep the whole time. He eats while he drinks while he's completely chilled. But um, when you take him to a warm-up arena where he knows he has to you know get his groove on he can be quite he can be more of a handful and he can be a little bit more timid but um recently the, this last season um sort of towards the end of 2009 and now beginning 2010 he just he just doesn't seem to be phased by by much really well you finished the season of course last year ranked sixth in in the world having won the german masters at stuttgart the first British rider ever to do that and you've gone on to start off this season with incredible results Laura I mean as I said earlier picking off the Dutch just one at a time and and of course Isabel and not least of all in Amsterdam um, just recently that was a marvelous result for you second in the Grand Prix second in the Kerr to Edward Garland Totilas uh, and, and beating a fantastic field there that that must boost your confidence enormously as we come into a world championship year Absolutely. Um, no, it was great fun to compete there and, and to have Alf on, on such good form at the beginning of the season was was was, was really good um, for our confidence. And I really feel like now I can make the decisions as to what kind of test I'm going to ride myself. I can say, like, in the Grand Prix, I decided to go for a really safe, secure test, no mistakes, and that's exactly what I got. And in the freestyle, I was able to, to up it a bit, and, and Alf is so responsive and sensitive to that. And, um, you know, it really, he's, you know, completely my, my buddy and, and he sort of is, is always on the side. He's one of those horses that you barely ever have a, a bad ride on. Even at home, you hardly ever have a bad day. Um, so now it's, it's kind of almost a bit scary starting off the season that well. You think it can't, you know, there's going to have to be a bad show at some point. But, um, with it having, you know, with the consistency having developed, I feel like, you know, I could take that in my stride and, and and just um, hopefully just in the long run just keep keep getting better and, and I'm so young and still learning so much every time I compete every six months I look back and think God there's so much more I know now that I didn't know six months ago and um, so I, you know being on such a steep learning curve makes it 
makes it all the more exciting and and I think you know I just my biggest aim is to really do my horse justice at the world games and and really show him at his best so what next for you Laura during this world cup season and and as you prepare for the big one as you say the world equestrian games here in Kentucky later this year um, I'm not actually going for the World Cup final. I just rode one or two World Cups just to keep to break up the winter a bit. But um, I, I I like to spread our, our shows out a bit over the winter and, and and throughout the season. I don't like to do too much at once. I um, I think otherwise it's it's a pretty long season, especially with the World Games only being at the end of September. Um, so I'm not going to compete him again till March now, where we've got um, there's a a Megler Cup final, which is a, a big competition in Germany. Um, which he had to qualify for, and I'm going to go to that with him. Um, and it's the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix special that he'll be going there. Um, so, yeah, we've got a little bit of time. I like to give him a bit of time after each show so that he always has a few, you know, an easy 10 days, and then I build him back up to the next thing. So what does Laura do when she's not riding Alf? You have other horses at Grand Prix level. How many How many are you competing apart from him, Laura? Um, I have one other at Grand Prix level who's also at Alf's age, but I haven't had that long. Um, he's sort of my, my spare part. Um, he's also a lovely horse, very, um, very thoroughbred horse, very, very different. So, again, I'm learning a lot from him. But then I've got a 10-year-old that's just coming into Grand Prix that I hope to compete at Grand Prix sort of sometime this year and then I've got a seven-year-old that's quite that's very talented but you know still only knocking on the door of small tour now and then I've got a load of uh, well a couple of five-year-olds no they're six now aren't they six-year-olds and um some yeah things that are younger than that so a few that are from three till six yeah so they keep me on my toes <laughs> so what what do you do for fun when you're not in the stables laura I, I, do you uh, cross train yourself or do, do, do you do other uh, other things i mean you're in wonderful hunting country course of there the the, the Beaufort hunt uh, do you participate in anything locally like that yeah i was dragged out while my boyfriend hunting the other day actually when i got back from amsterdam the following monday i went hunting which is quite uh contrast when you come back from competing in your top hat and tails and you go out <laughs> charging around through the thick mud and jumping things and stuff no it's good fun but um i tend to I, I love most sports but i tend to sort of i like skiing in the winter if i get a chance and i play tennis in the summer um and then i've got three older brothers and and lots of friends who live in london so if i have spare time at weekends i like to go, out, go down to london and and go and hang out with them and, and I do I think it's important to have downtime and to make sure that you, you take a day off in a week where you where you don't spend the day on the yard because it's very easy for us horsey people to to forget to to sort of take a break or forget to just spend the day not on the yard and I think it's it's good if you if you do that and it keeps you fresh and yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good balanced uh, life there. And obviously in terms of your career though, Laura, you're really at a wonderful place now with uh, your second World Equestrian Games right in front of you and of course the Olympics in London in just a couple of years time. Where does this all fit into your big picture? What does Laura Bechtel's Harbour want to want to be able to say in 10 years time? Hmm, that's an interesting one. I don't know. I'm not I'm not someone who lives massively for the future. I guess I'm being young. I sort of just live for the moment. And, you know, with horses and I guess with all sports, you've you've got to really enjoy it when you're on and up because I think 
we all know that, you know, ups also, you know, get followed by downs and we can't always be, be, be at the top of our game and I think it's um, really important to work hard for it but also enjoy it when it's going well and, and, and remember that that things things can go wrong pretty quickly too. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm very ambitious and, and I definitely want to push myself and I'd love to be able to win some more medals and, and represent my country at the next Olympics. Um, but at the same time, I, I like to keep a, a, a balanced view on, on life and, and remember that there's there's other things that are very important to me as well, such as my family and, and, and friends and things. So I think... Um, and they tend to keep me in line and, and keep keep me on on the ground. Keep your feet on the ground. There yeah. you go. Well, you've already been recognised. I know this year that the British Dressage uh, have recognised you and your parents uh, uh, for your greatest contribution as owners to British Dressage. That was a, um, an award that uh, get, uh, that was recently uh, bestowed upon you. So uh, wonderful to have that recognition, not just as a rider, but with your family as owner of a horse that's making such a contribution to British dressage and world dressage. Yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. He's definitely a, a blessing to have him in the yard. Well, congratulations on that. And also we should mention that you've, uh, you're producing training DVDs too. So you, you must spend time, uh, all your time in the barn and, and, and now as, as a, uh, at a video presenter with your training videos. Is this a, a little uh, sidebar for you, Laura, that you can see, uh, you know, being something that you can also do uh, when you're not riding? Yeah, definitely. Um, I work with a website called com, and we, we make um, videos and we have blogs and, and from different um, riding personalities and we try and we try and have forums and things so it's a real place for for, for you know horse fanatics to, to to discuss ideas and also to watch top riders explain things and and and, and show show how things are done and I think it's it's so important to have a place where people can watch you know from any level watch watch training videos that are relevant to two people from any level and that, that are very honest and, and show how it is you know if a mistake happens or if things don't quite go wrong we don't cut and paste we you know we really try and show show the reality of training and um we seem to get really positive feedback which is which is great and it's something I've, i feel very strongly about um type of training with the horses that we do we try and be you know, 100% fair to the horse and 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 on, on classical lines and and um, you know, really show how to work the horse as an athlete, but you know, in favour of the horse. And and my father, I know, and, and Klaus Bachmann, who I work with um, on a regular basis, we all we're all on the same page as as far as that goes, and and all feel very strongly about that. So to have um, the website as a as a as a sort of platform to to work on these things and to show these things is, is really fun. Well, good for you. Obviously, you're keeping very, very busy there. We expect to see more of you on video, but a lot more of you in the competition arena. Laura, the very best of luck. You're obviously heading into a very exciting year. We wish you all the very best in your preparation for the World Games. We hope you'll come back on the Dressage Radio Show and give us an update, and certainly we'll hope to see you here and talk to you while you're in Kentucky. So good luck, and thanks again for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, that was great to hear from Laura. Heather, she really is the darling of British dressage now and has a tremendous potential with a, a great stable of, of horses and really on a roll. It's a nice place to be, isn't it? Yeah, lucky UK to have her on board.
Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We, we talked to Carl Hester um, a few months ago, and we talked to Desi Dillingham uh, uh, about the growth of British dressage. And, and you would have seen it from when you were based in Europe, how they've emerged in the international scene with consistent results. It is not a nation that was known for its dressage just a few years ago, really. Right, yeah, Great Britain's really, really moving up, and it's, um, you know, these these world championships are getting a lot more interesting with the with new countries really getting on the map in strong ways. Well, it does give us uh, a lot more competition, doesn't it? You know, you, they used to be just the familiar nations that you know you would you would pretty much safely put money on to be standing on the podium uh, at, at, at Olympic Games and, and World Championships and European Championships. But the, the field's opened up a bit, isn't it? Yeah, it makes it a lot more exciting. A lot more exciting. Well, we'll be looking forward to welcoming the British over here and everyone else in just a, a few months. This time, this summer's just going to fly by, Heather. Will you be coming up to, to watch the World Equestrian Games at all? You know, Chris, I can't plan much in my life more than about 30 <laughs> days ahead of time. So <laughs> I, you're going to have to ask me that later when it gets closer. I don't know where I'll be. <laughs> all right. Well, if you do, then we'll get you, we'll, we'll get you on the Dressage Radio Show to be our expert commentator. I'd love to do that. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a, a short commercial break here, and when we come back, we're going to hear about your tip of the week. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a second. Glenn the Geek here, and we get many emails every week from people who really like the shows, and they ask how they can help support the Horse Radio Network. Well, you already do that by listening to the shows and by buying from all of our fantastic sponsors. And now you can add to that by supporting us directly and very easily. The next time you need something from Amazon, just go to any of our websites and click on the Amazon banner in the middle of the page. Then go on and buy your Amazon items. It won't cost you a penny more, just an extra click. But Amazon gives us a little bit back just because you clicked on the banner. Tell your family and friends to do the same thing. Every little bit helps us to keep giving you the quality equestrian programming that you have come to love. Thanks for listening. Well, Heather, it's great to have you back on the show as co-host, and we're going to put you to work again. Of course, uh, our very popular series, uh, Tip of the Week, of course, is used not only on the Dressage Radio Show, but also on Horse Tip Daily, which is something that Glenn does, um, a, a daily tip. And uh, so it gets, it gets uh, a double exposure here. So what have you got lined up for us this week? Well, a tip about um, what the warm-up at a show um, it should be used for, in my opinion. Um, and it came to my mind because I was just at the show this weekend and saw some, you know, it's been, it's been over a year since I've shown, I haven't not been in the show ring. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that was another reason this was a little challenging to be uh, debuting Paragon. Anyway, um, just looking around a little bit at uh, some of the people and what they're doing in their warmups. And um, it just made me think that I would advise you to think about your warm-up at the show um, not as an opportunity to train your horse. Um, I think, you know, by the time you're there, you should the training should be done, at least for the level that you're competing. And you, you should think about going in the warm-up as a way to get your horse centered and focused 
and of course his muscles and ligaments and, and his body warm and, and feeling in a physical way the way it should. You know, but as far as going through um, movements or training, you know, educating your horse, that try to go to the show when you feel like the education portion um, is done. So when you get to the show, it's really just a matter of getting a, a sort of a physical state that's ready to go in the show ring. Talking about the physical state of the horse, that's one, that's one aspect. And I think it may be, may be a good example for someone like yourself who's been out of the competition arena for a while, Heather. Is there any sort of men- mental preparation that you have? To, are you someone that gets nervous or uh, or is it just nervous excitement or anticipation? And how do you deal with the psychological preparation for competition? Well, um, you know, I usually have such, I'm so busy and so much going on that um, I don't have a lot of time to stew about what's going to happen, and that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, if I do think about it a lot, it's usually when I'm sort of getting ready to go to bed and my mind wanders in ways that I don't necessarily want it to if I get nervous at all. Um, I, I have more anxiety about going out and, and uh, anxiety as far as excitement or um, you know, looking forward to it because I love to compete and I get, um, I just get uh, excited about going and I want it all to go well and I can't wait for it. Um, I think in general, I mean, I know we're all different and I have a lot of experience showing, so I don't need to run through my test over and over. I don't need to, you know, really worry about, am I going to memorize what to do or, um, if I know what will happen to with me and my horse when I'm at the show. So I like to just kind of put off um, thinking about much of it in general um, until when I get there, until, you know, just a few minutes before. And I might make sure that there isn't a lot of noise around, that if I'm tacking up my horse or if my groom is tacking up my horse, that we both know exactly how we want it to be done and there aren't any surprises and that um, if it's just me, I do groom for myself a lot or if I have a groom working for me that um, everything is going to go, you know, all the equipment is ready and clean and, and, you know, how we saddle the horse and how, what pads we put on, what girths, just as long as all that stuff is organized and there aren't going to be any surprises and I don't have to worry about finding this or that those sorts of things can get me um distracted but as long as everything is prepared um like that then i just try to stay in the moment and start the warm-up and stay uh, in in that moment as much as i can until um it's ready to ready to start getting you know polished to go in the ring then i might run through my test a little in my head and then go in but if i prepared too many days ahead of time i think I could almost, you know, psych myself up into thinking that, oh my gosh, what if I don't do this? What if I don't do that? So I just leave that kind of negative stuff out of my head along with with much of the preparation at all until a little bit towards the last minute. And then I can just think about the positive things and make it go that way. And do you think this is something that comes with experience, being able to manage the, the psych- psychological effect of competing? Or is it... Is it uh, part of somebody's nature heather have you always been like this um i've always been like this um and i don't know if i mean if 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 you're a person with a lot of show nerves i don't know if just going out there a number of times would actually make it better it could all it could actually almost make it worse if you go out and you 
have a lot of negative anxiety about it and then you go out and you actually get a negative experience then i think the next time you come out you've just doubled um you know the worry and the negative side so i'm i'm there's there's sports psychology help that um can definitely be looked into and if if you're a person out there with you know big issues on how to prepare for the show and it just makes you so nervous that you can't eat for a week before or you know you just can't you can't um take the pressure then i mean i would definitely advise looking into some sports psychology it's 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 available in many forms many ways and um you know I, I think probably necessary more than just just experience but so the more you have good experiences then maybe the you know the anxiety can back down go away hopefully because that energy, if you have any negative energy or anticipation, obviously it's going to affect your core muscles and your and your general relaxation when you're riding to be effective. Obviously, isn't it? It's it, at some level, um, the, the, it's going to convey be conveyed to the horse. Well, sure, it would. It'll change the, phys- the physical state of your own body, and definitely how you you know how it would affect how you make decisions on what you should do with your horse so each each moment something comes up and if you're more anxious then you would maybe be a little less compassionate you might be a bit more you know tense with your horse or less forgiving maybe when you wouldn't have been at home and i mean the effects can go on and on and on and just you know multiply and feed off of each other so it's really important that you that you do either have it as a natural um state in you or that you learn how to go in the show ring in a very peaceful mindset um you know you have to be intense but you have to do it with a with a balance of um you know a relaxation about it and a, a calm focus and to be able to think very clearly and know what's going on around you but definitely know what's going on within you and your horse well it's interesting watching you ride heather and those of you uh, uh, that know heather will have observed this and and it's very uh, very obvious in in the video of this past weekend with you riding paragon that there's a there's a stillness in your body and of course one of the things that you advocate is the biomechanics of riding and the focus on on riding and this is i think a, a great topic of conversation for for another time heather because there's so much so many aspects to it but watching you riding there's a there seems to be a really inner stillness and peace in your actual core of your body is this something you're aware of or it's subconscious um i'm very aware of it uh, there are lots of things that can happen in the right way in my body that happen on a subconscious level now or an unconscious level. Um, but at one point or another in my um, education, it has been conscious. You know, I've gone through my body from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. Um, of course, with the help of Mary Wanless, my coach that I've been working with for a good uh, 15 years now, uh, you know, I've really learned body awareness from, you know, it just in ways that I would have never imagined um, necessary or possible, um, you know, had I not taken this route in my own riding. But it is, um, it's something I'm so grateful that I have learned about. And, and it doesn't mean that every step that I take in the test that I have it all at a conscious level, you get it to an unconscious level at some point. Um, but uh, you, you have to know what's happening to your body as your horse moves underneath you. And if you don't, then I think, you know, there are so many things that could be happening that you don't have the, 
the tools to assess if you're not also aware of how it's changing your body in ways that are either positive or negative. Um, but uh, awareness takes a huge amount of, of humbleness because it doesn't matter what level you're riding. It could be a beginner training level. You could be a Grand Prix rider. And, you know, everybody has a really tough time with that moment when they are told what it is that they're doing wrong that they didn't know they were doing wrong. Um, and we all have things. Um, it's just kind of hard to get past that point where, you know, it's kind of like getting conscious of your of some things that you're not you're not competent doing. And um, it doesn't mean you can't learn it. You can, but once you're aware of it, then you can learn how to change it. And when you change it, that you've changed it. And then when you've lost it again, and when you change it again, and it's just a process. Um, and it's all about awareness, and it doesn't mean you're always perfect, but you should know when you're when you've got something good and when you've lost something that you wanted. So it's um it's a lifetime study, and I'm, I'm never going to be finished with it. I still um, do a lot of things that make a big difference um, within my own body that affect how my horses go, and it and it does, you know, biomechanics are definitely for a, a, a physical reason. It just happens to also look very pretty. Um, but biomechanics can also be kind of misunderstood as just, well, to look pretty on the horse. But it, it happens to look very elegant and very pretty, the correct biomechanics. But it is so much for a performance reason and a communication reason between you and your horse that it's, um, it's you know, 99% for that. And then we're just lucky that it also happens to be the prettiest way to ride. <laughs> so it's really worth looking into some some uh, rider biomechanics and a lot of body awareness. The more you can get, the better. Absolutely. And, of course, those tools help so much. Uh, coming back to your tip of the week, Heather, about warming up and the purpose of warming up at shows, if you have those tips, they're going to help you so much when you prepare for a competition when you actually get there. That's right. That's right. Well, terrific. Well, thank you, Heather. That was uh, very insightful. And, uh, um, and we're plain running out of time already this week. We could talk all, we could talk all week, I'm sure. There's, there's so much to that. And I hope you'll come back on the show and talk a little bit more about biomechanics as well. Well, I will if, you, if you'll have me. Oh, absolutely. Not just for the quizzes. <laughs> 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 all right, Heather. Well, thanks again. But um, don't forget um, that you can follow our show notes at dressageradio.com. You can also visit us on Facebook. We have a fan page there, and we post all the news and uh, upcoming guests and when the show is posted on the website. You can follow us on Twitter, of course, at Horse Radio, or you can follow me at Chris E. Stafford. Our official social network, as ever here at the Horse Radio Network, is Equestrian Live, so uh, take time to visit them at equestrianlive.com. You can contact me at chris at horseradionetwork.com if you have any questions, uh, comments, suggestions, or if you indeed have any questions uh, for Heather, I'll make sure she gets those. Or if you prefer, you can leave, leave us a voicemail, and that's at 270-803-0025. We'd like to thank our sponsors again who make this show possible and also to Heather again for, for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you back on the show, Heather. As I said, don't, don't forget where we are. Come back. Don't be a stranger to us. Come back and uh, talk some more about biomechanics and uh, keep us updated on what Paragon's uh, doing. And, and we're going to see you uh, just this weekend. Of course, you're going to be at the MSCDA 
uh, annual meeting here in Lexington, Kentucky. So I look forward to catching up with you then. I look forward to it too. So, um, well, thanks for having me on. It was fun to be back and I'm looking forward to the next time too. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care and we'll see you here next week.